Did you know that you can stream the best of HBO shows and more with the new Astro? Better than before, no rain interruptions, no repeats, just stream anytime and on demand via the Astro Ultrabox. It starts from only RM5990 a month, and you can find out more information at astro.com.my. You're listening to The Goggler Podcast with me, Uma, and joining me on the show today is Saul Metstein. He is the director of Season 3 of Slow Horses. Hey, Saul. My name's Uma. I'm dialing in from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. This is an absolute pleasure. Before we get into Slow Horses, can I say you directed one of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who ever? Oh, which one? Which one? Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Yeah, see, but here's the thing. I love Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, but I don't think that's proper Doctor Who fan stuff. I know it isn't. But it's so wacky, zany, and out there. It's completely mad. Right? <laughs> yes. And I think that's Doctor Who, and it has been for the last six decades. Yeah, I know. I, I, I happen to love that. I also love that episode because it's just mad. It's, yes. just, it's a mad thing. Every day was mad, and everything makes no sense. In a sort of like, you know, you're literally on a beach, and the pterodactyls are coming, and yes. the, everything. It's just, it's just madness. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm glad you like that one. Oh, thank you very much. Let's talk Slow Horses. What I really love about the series is how the entirety of every season is helmed by a single director, which means there is a sense that it is of a piece. But when you're coming into something like this in season three, when it already has a kind of established look and feel, I'm wondering if you still get a chance to play as a director. Absolutely. It's a funny one. Firstly, the concept is that the director comes in and makes it his own. Like that's Apple, what they want you to do. So there was never any moment where everybody said, oh, this is not slow horses. And this, you know, it's like this. As far as I'm concerned, in an in a entirely egotistical sense, the first two seasons are just rehearsals for my season. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, you know, so it's, it's everything that they do is just, is just for me in, in, in my right egocentric. So, so, and they're very well rehearsed by that point. So the actors own their characters. And I can't, I can't exaggerate how useful that is because they, they come with ideas, they come with lines, they suggest things. As a director, you live for that stuff. Because, of course, listening feels like a very important part of your job. Yes, listening and also pretending that the actors have made the decisions that they haven't made. (laughs) It's a a controlling yet responding, but yet getting your way at the same. You know, I mean, it's all a sort of you're directing it. You're not writing it. So what you also do is you just you look at the previous seasons, you work at what you like and don't like. And then you find that you have as directors, not so much. Some directors are more talented, some, you know, this sort of thing. But actually what you're doing is it's the final judgment that you do, which is really what your voice as a director is. I mean, you know, I probably use more tracking shots than than either of the directors, for example. But that's not the thing. That's the sort of that's how you do it. But in fact, it's it's a judgment thing. And the material is the Mick Heron's books tonally are very easy to understand. Will's writing is very easy to understand. The magic thing with Will is he'll adapt something if it doesn't work. Very very often in television, the writer is totally like, this is how it's written. You know, I, I once spent three or four days trying to convince a writer that I couldn't that I couldn't make a scene where a meteorite pins somebody's arm down ever work. Like it literally took, took me three or four days to convince the writer that I couldn't, it'll always be rubbish because it's a rubbish scene. Right. Whereas Will is trained in a way of writing that if there's a problem, 
or there's a tonal thing the director doesn't understand or whatever like this, he just will attack it. You know, he'll think of something. And he also is one of these people who has no, no, he's not precious. And he's also, he doesn't, when I write, I have to sit in, it has to be exactly right. I have to be sitting there. I have to be in it. The temperature has to be right. I have to be the right beverage, everything, you know. You know, when he writes, we were checking in at an airport and he would be writing standing up. It's that responsiveness. So there's never there was never a moment where I felt that it, that I couldn't make my version of it. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I often tell my wife that same thing. I'm just like, oh, look, if I get a new laptop, I think my writing will be better. <laughs> exactly. But 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 there's never also because the stuff is strong, the characters are strong and everything. You never really are anxious about falling out of the world of slow horses. Well, the world of slow horses. I mean, it's particularly exciting to me because I lived in London for a while and it's very much a London show. I really wanted you to talk to me about how you frame the city because I think it's this brilliant balance of street level grit without losing the majesty of London. Yeah, yeah. And and I think I think you've I think that's exactly it. It's a very it's it is actually that's a very interesting challenge. And also it's not actually it's not a challenge, I mean it's a it's built in. What's fantastic about London is it's grand and it's a bit revolting at the same time. Right. And that's what you that's what you want. And I think and I think there's also a challenge. I don't think London is terribly easy to film because I think it's like New York is easy to film. Paris is easy to film. They look they look like something. A lot of London looks a bit like nothing. And so you have to you have to go for heightened nothings, which are quite difficult. But yes. say for say for example, where Catherine gets mugged in the underneath the railway. You know, partially that's a homage to season one, where the bad guy's house was next to a railway. Partially, you thought it's it's the London which is we recognize it, but it's also not quite where you would go, kind of thing. It's that it's it's so these things are very self-conscious, like like that. And also it's London, like it's like it's got something on top of you. London is holding you down in a sort of vaguely. So we have a lot of stuff where you don't see a lot of sky, for example, because London is just just on at you. But again, then trying to contrast that with Istanbul and things like that, you know, there's a very specific thing, which is I live very, very close to where Slough House is, the exterior of Slough House. And I had a funny thing, which is during lockdown, when you could go for walks, all me and my partner did is me and her, we'd go for a walk through every little alleyway in the city of London. So they had a very nice thing, which is that there was a million locations that I that was stored in my head because if I was shooting something in London. So when it when slow horses came up, all that stuff about London was deeply prepared already in me. It was just waiting to come out. One very quick question, which is about Slough House itself, because I think it's one of the just the most phenomenal sets that I have seen on TV in a long time. There is so much happening in every nook and cranny could you talk to me about this space obviously it's a set it's a it's an absolutely enormous set it, it has a lot of roots through it it's it's once you i wouldn't look at it too logically because once you start noticing things it doesn't quite make sense like all sets but right. i mean instead of i mean it's just a very well designed set it's just it's just it's it's a bit like it's like you you can never quite work out the shape of it and it's part of this thing of their their little ants caught in this in this thing so it's never and it's never quite comfortable um and these are all sort of things which feed nicely into the programs and and it's very london in a funny way you go into offices you just think these are just lethal fire death traps <laughs> they're not even they're not even civilized places 
and you know, and then it's a sort of funny, it's all slightly greenish, if you know what I mean. It's got a just, it all looks slightly sick. And again, that's a, that's something me and uh, Danny Core and the cameraman worked on a lot just to get it always looking slightly unwell. No, I absolutely love it. But but not until you don't want to watch it. <laughs> it's not a place I want to work in or live in, but no. I love looking at it. The whole of London is that. That's the job. Saul, thank you so much. We did these junkard interviews for season one and season two, and I keep saying the same thing. I think it's one of the best things on TV. And every time it pops up on my Apple screener account, I'm just thrilled beyond belief. So keep making these. They're fantastic. You are best. <laughs> thank you so much. That was Saul Metstein. He directed season three of Slow Horses. Watch it now on Apple TV+. Plus. It is absolutely brilliant. Don't forget to reach out with your thoughts. Our social media feeds are gogglermy. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler hotline, 012-524-5208. If you drop us a line on any one of those channels, we'll send you a link to join our brand new Discord server where you can chat with us in real time. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Goggler Podcast.